You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Amen. I want you to experience some of those stories because as I was preparing for uh, the 15-year thing, the, the reoccurring thing in, in me was we had a first 15 and I've prayed for God for a fresh 15. And so at the very beginning, we had a first 15. You got to hear stories of, of people. And, and it wasn't funny when Jeremy called me and said that he wasn't, they weren't coming. They were all sick. Um, you know, we had been meeting as 25 people in a kitchen, living kitchen, keeping room area. We'd been meeting for nine months, about 25 people, all preparing for that one Sunday. See, when we would meet you in the community, we would ask, you know, well, are you, were you interested in maybe coming to a new church or are you interested in helping plant a new church? And honestly, the people that said, oh, we would just be interested when you plant. We said, all right, well, we'll see you, you know, give me your information. We'll let you know later when we launch. I only wanted people at the very beginning that were going to give heart, soul, strength, sweat, everything in order to move it and get it out of the ground. And so 25 people launching that church on that first Sunday... On April 1st, 2007, I checked that only the next time that April 1st happens on a Sunday is in seven more years. So in seven more years, we won't celebrate 20, we'll celebrate 22, and we'll do it on April Fool's Day. We'll do it um, maybe in a different place uh, based on how many are sitting here today. Um, so, so it's God's faithfulness that took 25 people from a, a kitchen um, to where we are today. Um, locally, we've seen, we've seen countless people saved, marriages and families restored, miracles prayed, um, miracle prayers answered, people healed. Um, but as fruitful as it has been, I have prayed for a fresh 15. As you know, Gene and I have just got back from a sabbatical a couple weeks ago, and there were three particular prayers that I knowingly prayed. Um, one, we prayed for renewal in our marriage. Um, you know, we work together 24-7. And so the idea of being co-workers and roommates, we had that down pat, right? I'd ask you for a show of hands here who understands that, but I'll, I'll, let, you, I'll let you slide. And, and so we wanted a renewal of our marriage and our friendship, and, and six weeks um, began that again. And so um, she is a pleasure and a joy to work alongside, but she's actually absolutely the best spouse um, God had made an ask of me um, 10 years ago on something very specific. I, I had no trouble hearing what he had to say. I just didn't believe he was telling the right person. Right? And uh, I believe God renewed that ask. And then I re- asked God to renew the vision for Gateway Church. And that's what we'll get to in a minute. Several other things God renewed that we didn't anticipate. Um, God renewed our love for our church. You are our people. You know, when, when, when you spend six weeks away from your people and you, you, you miss them and, and the, the, the renewal of love for being around you and being uh, in your lives and um, we missed it and that was renewed. Uh, God renewed our love for our community. Williamson County, Nashville, this is our home. Ministry life is a little like military life. You know, you, you don't you you, tra- you can travel a lot, and different places are called home, and you don't get a lot of choice of where you go. And I don't mean people pluck you up and put you somewhere, but but the Lord does that. 
And um, we realized that this is our home and we love it here. And we were picking out burial plots. We actually drove by somewhere, saw a, a, a cemetery we had never seen before and said, yeah, okay, that's where we'll be buried. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that great? <laughs> and then God renewed our call for pastoring. He renewed that. Um, we don't have a desire to do anything else, anywhere else with anyone else. We are glad that not just that we're home, but you're with us. Amen. Um, Philippians, Philippians 1 is, is, where, um, is where I want to just kind of launch from today. Philippians is a, is an eclectic, was an eclectic church. It's one of my favorite churches. Um, if you read the story of the Philippian church founding in the book of Acts, you find out the eclectic nature of their founding members, right? So there was, there was a jailer in his family. There was a teenage demon-possessed girl that was, uh, was freed. Um, and there was a pretty wealthy, well-to-do um, woman and her family and her business. And this is kind of how it begins. And I just I love the eclectic nature. And Paul seems to have a strong affinity for this church. So I'm going to read you, I'm going to read you a, a number of verses, how he opens his letter to this church. And what I want you to do is, is try to make a mental note of how many times he says, you and yours, you and yours. Now, when we read scripture, normally when we read it, and we read a pronoun that says you and yours, we read it personally, right? We, we read, read it as if the writer is writing directly to us. Absolutely. But all scripture has a double ring. So I want you to understand that what Paul is doing is he's writing to a group of people. So when he says you and yours, he's telling this to a congregation. So we'll pretend we're the church at Philippi right now. And, and he's saying you and yours. He's speaking, he's speaking to all of us, not just to us individually. Um, and so here is beginning with verse 3, Philippians 1. Every time you cross my mind, I break out in exclamations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I am so pleased that you have continued on in this with us, believing and proclaiming God's message from the day you heard it right up until the present. There has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. It's not all that fanciful for me to think this way about you. My prayers and hopes have deep roots in reality. You have, after all, stuck with me all the way from the time I was thrown in jail. That wouldn't be me. All right. But on, put on trial and came out of it in one piece. All along, you have experienced with me the most generous help from God. He knows how much I love you and miss you these days. Sometimes I think I feel as strongly about you as Christ does. That's kind of Paul writing to the first 15 years, the way I've read it in context of Gateway. And this would be Paul writing to the fresh 15. He says, so this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much, but well. Learn to love appropriately. You need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere, is intelligent, and not sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus would be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and the praise of God. 
past 15. Man, it's been a, it has been a joy to walk with hundreds and hundreds of you through the first 15 years of Gateway's existence. And I, Gene and I, we only think about this in great terms. But what about the next 15? And I hear this in Paul's voice. He said, Philippian church, man, you guys, you know how to do it. You know how to get after it. You know how to take people, take, take a hold of people. You know how to run with the word, man. You, you have done a great job. And he's saying, but listen, it's not over. And I'm going to give you a path forward. Love well, right? Love well, love much, love widely. Love as many people as you can potentially and possibly love. Love widely, but not just what, what, love widely. He said, love well. So loving well is love deeply, love richly. What he gets into is love sincerely. So don't just love on the surface. I had a buddy that told me that um, a, a consultant came into his church and, um, you know, they do that sometimes to kind of give you an idea of kind of how you're doing with people and that kind of thing. And, and um, the response was, well, we know we're in the Southeast. This is a really friendly church. They said, but it's not very engaging. Right? What is that? That is, that is loving widely, but forgetting to love deeply and sincerely. It's forgetting to ask, how are you? It's forgetting to pause, even in your wide and cra- wild and crazy Sunday, to pause and look someone in the face that, that, they, that you can tell something's not quite right. And pausing and saying, no, 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 how, how are you? Right, we can ask that two different ways. We can ask it as we're blowing by them, or we can ask it while we're staring there in the face. That, that reflects how Jesus loved. He lived love And when we love like that, it makes Jesus proud of us. And listen, it makes Jesus attractive to other people. Someone gave me a book recently, and um, and the the, the author had this to say. said, people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. When you read the Gospels, you see that all over the pages. People who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Why? Because Jesus loved well. He loved deeply. He loved much. He lived love, he died love, and he resurrected love. People who, didn't, who, who look nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. There's three different goals that Christ has for love for us. First is our own transformation. You know, some people, they, they just long for t- someone to tell them they love them. And Jesus exhibited and demonstrated his love for us. We'll celebrate it in two weeks, right? We're going to celebrate the ultimate expression of love, the, resurrect, the, the death and resurrection of Christ. He loved well. He loved Evie. He lived well. The first goal of God's love for us is that we would be transformed by that love. The second would be that then that love that transforms us would be our ID. It would be how we were known, right? I think about how maybe I'm known or how I used to be known as, you know, I was pretty sarcastic. You know, I, I, could, I could get into a nice verbal spar with you easily, often, and I'm really, really good at it. And, and I realized, though, through the years, is that the ID that I want to be known for? Is that the moniker of identity that I want to hang my hat on? Is that if you want to get into a verbal sparring match, I'm your guy? Or do I want to be known as the person who loves well, loves deeply, loves sincerely, 
that lives love. So, so love transforms us, but then it becomes our identity. Why would it become our identity? Because then others, then when they get to know us, they will get to know the love of Christ that is shown through us. Those are the reasons why we should embrace love. When God spoke renewal in my spirit last fall for this year, um, it was a shocking word for me. I, like most of you, I just had my head down trying to get past the next thing. Anybody else go through the last two years like that? Head was down. What's the next thing? I need to get the next thing done and the next thing done before they, that thing runs over me. And so when I heard renewal, I, at first I was taken back. Well, I don't need renewal. I'm good. But he stayed persistent with that word of renewal. So I started opening my hands, especially January and February through sabbatical. Okay, Lord. And if I need renewal, I need you to show me what needs to be renewed. And here's an interesting fact. The the quieter and more settled I became, the clearer and more specific he became. And if there's anything to write down today, it's that. The quieter that you and more settled that you become, the clearer and more specific he will become. And so through this process, I really evaluated my ministry call, honestly. I said, well, we got to start at the beginning. I want to renew my ministry call. What does that look like? Renew the vision of Gateway Church. Is there, is there, are you taking us to a new place, doing a new thing or something different? Lord, I need you to renew when I wrestled that down, um, I had an assignment in seminary that was called, we had to write out our, uh, what's called a theology of ministry. Never heard of it. And the purpose of this was to determine whether you were making a choice into vocational ministry or were you feeling called into vocational ministry. So what's the difference? Well, when, when you're called into something, then when it gets hard, you stay put. And when you make a choice to do something that gets hard, you just keep passing on, right? So, so that was the first thing. It was a challenge to defend. And then it was a, a chance to discover how God was wiring me in particular for ministry. And in that, John chapter 10 became kind of my anchoring verse in our anchoring chapter. In John, John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as good shepherd. A, a shepherd protects and provides all of the activities of a shepherd fall underneath the, that umbrella. Those are protection and provision. And that approach really resonated with me. And I said, okay, I want to be a good shepherd. So in the 34 years since that, those days, whenever I've got lost leading, God brings me back to shepherding. Whenever I've got lost in leading, God has brought me back to shepherding. My, my ministry changed from student ministry to missions ministry at a particular time. And, um, and in doing that, I thought I needed a more strategic uh, education on, on missions, that I needed to be able to, to understand the strategies of cross-cultural ministry in all kinds of different settings. And three different times, I tried to pursue a degree in missiology. And all three times, God shut it down. But uniquely, uniquely during that time, I did start a advanced degree, but it was in what was called postmodern church leadership. It was a, it was even brand new phraseology, postmodern church leadership. What is that? Boiled down into two things. 
How do you lead a church in an era and a culture? Now, this was back in 2000, 20 years earlier, okay? How do you do that in a culture where truth is relative? And how do you do that in a, in a country where Christianity has lost its home court advantage? And that's what was on the radar screen 20 years ago. What do we do and how do we defend the gospel in a culture where truth is relative? There is no anchoring truth. Everybody has their own. And no longer is Christianity home court advantage. When Rhonda said, I didn't tell anybody what I do, I, I rarely tell anybody what I do, right? One, I never get the real people after I tell them what I do. It's really fun on the golf course, by the way. If I find myself, you know, getting beat by the, by the people I'm playing with, I just tell them I'm a pastor and they go all, they go to pieces. They go to pieces. It's, it's a great strategy that I keep in my golf bag. You know, just tell them you're a pastor. And then the eight beers they have already consumed, right? It just, it just they, they, they can't handle it. So in 2000, I did all that while I was a missions pastor, and I I got lost being a missions pastor, and God kept bringing me back to, I didn't call you to give them strategy. They have the strategy. I called you to pastor. I can do that. So in 2005, it was when I was feeling the shift of no longer being on staff at a local church, but actually planting a local church. And I mean, I mean, every time God calls you somewhere else, it's always over your head. Anybody understand this? It's always, or, and I can't swim anyway. So every time God, I guess if God said, you're going to drown in four feet of water, I'll, I'll put you in 40. You're going to drown either way, right? So, so I remember just really one particular day in my office, I just had the ugly cry prayer thing of what, what are you possibly calling me to do? And I drilled down to really what I was afraid of. And what I was afraid of was failing. Is anybody else, is anybody else afraid of failing? And so my second fear was like the first. I said, well, maybe I can get something out of the ground. Maybe there could be an actual church. Maybe, maybe I could get enough people that we could do that. But I don't have any idea what I would do with them. And those are my two fears. Would anybody ever come? And what am I going to do with them after they get there? Right? Because you understand that the, 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 the mission of the church is not to get people all in one room. Right? You can do that. All you have to do is have enough money. Right? Enough money, big enough show, you can get people in a room. That's, that's never been the goal of the church. The church has always been a sent out body. It's been a called out body and a sent out body. So I finished this prayer. And my eye catches on my bookshelf two particular bound books. They were my master's thesis and my doctoral thesis. In writing, bound, master's thesis, all about being a good shepherd. The doctoral thesis. It was called Connected to God, Connected to One Another, Connected to the World. A postmodern approach to evangelism. You might better recognize that as fresh starts, great friends, real purpose. A postmodern approach to evangelism. That this was never about just trying to gather a group of people to gather a group of people. But to gather a group of people that could, could live in a country where we have lost home court advantage. 
and show people that the love of Christ is true and it's worth trusting. I've realized this, few people, few will search for more life until they experience more life in someone else. Few will experience, search, few will search for more life until they experience more life in someone else. And that someone else is us. What kind of life are you currently experiencing? I think everyone, myself included, swerve in and out of three different lanes. We, serve, we swerve in and out of stale, alone, and stuck. I'd love to say that we never, that we always stay fresh and we're never stale. Not true. I wish to say that, that we just get that one friend somewhere and then we're never alone. Or that we just know where we're going and we know how to get there and it's pedal to the metal and we just go, go, go. And there's no disruptions, there's no changes, there's no surprises. And we all know that's not true. So everybody swerves in and out of those three lanes, stale, alone, and stuck. And what are the answers for those? Well, John chapter 10 once again brings us to that answer. John 10, 9 and 10 out of the message says, I am the gate. So you even know where we come up with the name of the church. I am the gate. I prayed. I said, Lord, well, I'm not going to name a church something disconnected from its mission. I was naive enough to believe that no one had ever come up with the idea of Gateway Church before. <laughs> Promise. I didn't do any internet searches. I wanted to come from scripture. I wanted to match our mission. And then lo and behold, there's this, this mega church in Dallas, Texas. But I stuck with it. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there. The thief is only there to still kill and destroy. I came so they can have real eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I said, that's what I want. I, I want that kind of life. Doesn't any, does it, wouldn't anybody want that kind of life? That, that's the kind of life that I'm after. It's opposed there's a force that opposes that, but that's the life I went. And that's where I started moving towards the idea of Fresh Starts, Great Friends, Real Purpose. Our fresh starts, it's a double ring. We, our first fresh start starts with salvation. But it stays with freshness. I, I, you know, goodness, I've, I've, lived a long, I've lived long enough as a believer to recognize stale in my own life. And I've also lived long enough that I've tracked down where it comes from. It's when I don't give God enough time and I'm not vulnerable with him. You can give God all the time you want. You can log all the hours of reading the Bible you want to, you want to log. You can log all your time serving in church. You can log all that time. But if you never open up your heart and are vulnerable with Christ, you're going to stay stale. You won't know it's stale until you come in contact with someone who's not stale. It's tough to be vulnerable with God, but here's the trick. He already knows it. He already knows the struggles. He already knows the hard times. He, he already has an intimate knowledge of who you are. The thing is, it doesn't impact you until you admit that to him. So fresh starts have a double ring. I don't know anybody doesn't, doesn't want to do over. I haven't met anybody yet who hasn't wanted to do over on something. That's the first fresh start. But the, the fresh starts that I talk about for us as believers, it's not like we can leave that one behind because, well, I'm already saved. No, staying fresh is what leads us to this idea of a life more and better than we ever dreamed of. What about alone? 
What about a, a, a great community? God created us to be relational beings. Great friends also has a double ring to it. It taps into this hole that all of us have. We want a great friend. But I got bad news for you. The relational hole in all of our hearts is not going to be solved by one BFF. One, it's way too much pressure to put on that other person, right? And that other person will never be able to live up to all of our emotional needs. So what, so what has God wired us for? He's wired us for a grace-filled, loving community. A grace-filled, loving community. Grace and love are attractive. When you extend grace and love to someone, you should see their face light up. If you want someone to extend grace and love to you, let me tell you the trick to do it, the trick to get it. Extend grace and love to someone else. And when you start extending grace and love and they start lining up, it's amazing how you feel. It's not about our feelings per se, but right, we feel differently because what's happening? Our identity, our true identity is coming out. We receive grace and love. And we give grace and love. A life more and better than we ever dreamed of includes active participation and giving and receiving grace and love in community. I know my name and Gina's name got mentioned a lot at the reception that we did for Pastor Harry um, on Friday. His name gets mentioned a lot. Um, we're just doing our part. And obviously, it just, you know, we're up front. So people know us. We are the main stalkers maybe of the place. I have, if I've chased you in the parking lot to say hi, raise your hand. Okay? Yeah, I'm, my ankle stay put after service. I'm going to find somebody leaving early. But you also heard a lot of yous and yours. See, how, how do you pastor a group of 600 or some people or more? How, how is that possible? It's, it's possible when a community of faith pastors one another. You've heard me say, we come into this place and we lend faith and we borrow faith. That's what happens. And everybody has a role and responsibility in that. Everybody. So then, the, the, that, and that brings us to the real purpose. God created us on purpose with purpose. Do you understand that God didn't create anything else like he created us? When he, when he kneels down and he, he got his hands in the dirt, he got his hands dirty creating us, but that's not all. Then he brings us up in a very intimate way, he breathes his spirit into us. That's how he created mankind, from the dust of the ground and his breath into him. We carry that spirit inside of us as believers. We get drawn to Christ through the spirit of God. And we come alive in Christ because of the spirit of God. And we're able to live in that life because of the spirit of God. And so people need to come in contact with his spirit through us. I, I've said it this way for 15 years. I, I've met so many people that long for a purpose, but they settle for a cause. And I will tell you, causes are always short-lived and purposes last a lifetime. And our purpose, we have a collective same purpose, but we live it out in different arenas with different giftings. But our purpose is the same, is that reflection of Christ. This was cemented for me when I read Matthew, 5, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching them in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Interesting, right? Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus was moved by compassion by what he saw. Now, don't think about Saul as a, as a, he glossed over, like he took a quick little look. When it says here that he saw, this is that known and loved capacity that Christ has, that he saw, he saw, and he got intimately connected with them, and he saw them harassed and helpless, harassed. Harassed is an outside, an outside force. And helplessness is an inside response to that outside force. And the shepherd saw all these people harassed and helpless. And what I love here is he doesn't turn around and point to his disciples and say, I can't believe how harassed and helpless they are. Those stupid people. He turns to them and says, the harvest is plentiful. How many times do we blame our own culture We blame our culture for their ills. And Jesus sees it as, no, 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 no. That just shows me they're ripe to harvest. So so what's the holdup? The holdup isn't the harvest. The holdup is having enough people that would be in the harvest. That we would be alongside the harvest. That the people we work with, we would see them as harvest. The people in our neighborhoods, we would see them as harvest. The people that are our families that don't know Jesus, instead of being put off or, um, or embarrassed or uh, offended by actions or attitudes or, or, or their views on this, that, or the other thing, it's instead, of, instead of that pushing us away, how about if it breaks our heart? How about if it breaks our heart? Our culture today hasn't disqualified itself from the love and grace of God with all its junk. It's identified it as ripe and to harvest. There are two equal and opposite dangers with the mission statement. You make it too long and complicated, nobody can remember what it is. The second, when you make it short and pithy and you put it on a t-shirt, it dies on the t-shirt. I will tell you that Fresh Start's Great Friends Real Purpose is not a slogan. It is not a slogan. These are the essential elements to the better and dreamed of life Jesus promised. And they are key ingredients to spiritual influence. I have to have them to be influential. Influential is my real purpose. When I embrace these and I share these. And the reason why they're stated the way they're stated is I can have a conversation with anybody about Fresh Start's Great Friends and Real Purpose. I have not met one person, no matter how far away they've been for Christ, that would not have a conversation with me about a fresh start or a great friend or real purpose. It's purposeful that they have double rings. So let me finish with this story. Gene and I started in, uh, in Arizona. We started in the desert, literally, for a sabbatical. We ended on a beach. It's kind of a nice progression. <clears throat> But when we were leaving Arizona and we dropped off our rental vehicle, we drop it off and we get on the dreaded um, airport shuttle bus from the rental car agency, all right? Everybody travels. You, so we're, you know, everybody's got their luggage. They're waiting in line and one guy's loading luggage and Gene and I had plenty, okay? And so, but this guy had a little different air about him. 
He wasn't, he wasn't really rude. He, he wasn't giving a bunch of harsh directions. He was greeting everybody. He looked at everybody in the eye. He was engaging us. And I'm like, well, this, is, this is different. Um, I'm trying to, you know, and I'll help you. You know, and I got my clubs and my big bag. No, 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 I got it, I got it. He puts it everything up and we get in our seat settled and he starts talking to everybody over the loudspeaker. And I'm thinking he's giving directions, right? Okay, first stop, American Airlines, second stop, Delta, right? And I notice a different thing and I see him in the mirror and he's smiling and he's just having conversation. And he starts encouraging everybody. Hey, I hope you've had a, a wonderful trip here in Arizona. Um, it has been a hard two years. I hope your family's been safe. And, and then he starts in talking about Jesus. And as we're pulling, as we're getting ready to pull, his eyes were open, I was watching. And as pulling in, he says, and I want to pray for you. And he prayed these Jesus words and he finished in Jesus' name. Well, when we were, we were still kind of and loving it. I'm, I'm reaching for how much money I can give him. You know, I'm going like, to tip this guy. And, um, and I got out. I was wondering, because it was a full bus. And I'm wondering how are people going to respond to this guy? And everybody, there was no pushback. There's no one wrestling, you know. And I'm like, where did all this receptivity come from? How about they experience someone exhibiting grace and love in a context where you got your head down and you're just trying to get through everything going on. So I thought, well, that was why some of the receptivity happened. But I think there was another reason too. He drove that bus like a shepherd. And how about that he saw people get on and off his bus every day as harassed and helpless. And he said, I'm gonna have them for a few minutes. And if I'm gonna have them for a few minutes, they're gonna get Jesus. And they're not gonna get it in some, in some way that would be offensive. How can we offend people in Jesus when we act like that we're right and they're wrong? You, I feel like I'm right and someone without Christ is wrong, but it doesn't move the needle. Are you with me? There ain't no needle being moved here by me declaring my righteousness. Ah, but extending grace and love? Who has too much of that? We got off, Gina went to speak with him and encourage him. And I went, that is the picture perfect of spiritual influence that I've been talking about for 15 years. That we have the very same purpose, each of us. And God puts us in different places with different gifts. And he says, there you go. I have woven you together in the way I have weaved, woven you together. I've placed you. You think you live where you live because you wanted to live there. Another story for you. You think your job is the job that you just aspired to. I got another ring for you. The gospel is always double ring. And when we can see people with the eyes of a shepherd, I, I, I think as much as hearing someone say, well, that person really influenced my life, I would love to hear someone more people say, that person shepherded me. I needed protection and they protected me. I needed provision, they provided for me. Fresh 15. I found it fascinating that God had to take me all the way back 34 years 
tell me that the roots he planted 34 years ago still has fresh time left now. And let me encourage you with something. If you feel yourself being stale, I was amazed of how my freshness was still connected to my roots. There was no disconnect of what he started in me and what he still wanted to see develop in the future. It's Paul's words to the Philippians. Man, I love y'all. This would be the Southern version of Paul's. I love y'all. You guys have been great. It's been such a joy on this ride with you. You have become dear friends. We love you. Sometimes I wonder who loves you more, us or Jesus? But there's still more to do. There is still more to become. And I know that he started something in you and I know it's continuing on. It hasn't reached the stopping point, even if it's reached a couple sticking points. Can we love well? Can we love deeply? Can we love widely? Can we love sincerely? Can we live out love? And if we can, come on now. We're going to see so many more people that are broken and helpless and harassed find the life that each of us have already found. And I don't want to keep it to myself. I don't want to get comfortable with my own little community, my own few BFFs, right? I, I, I feel good about me and who I am and where I am. I want to go looking for more people that are harassed and helpless. And the way we do that is with each of you embracing that call, embracing that challenge to stay fresh, embracing that call to get outside of your own little safety into a different community, a grace and love-filled community. Take more chances with that around here and embracing that purpose. And we're gonna receive communion. So however, we're gonna take, uh, we're gonna hand out buckets actually. And in the buckets are the pre-packaged communion that we have normally on a Sunday. So guys, wherever you are, just or ladies, whoever's handing it out, just start handing out, take one and pass the bucket. Now on our Good Friday service, we're gonna receive communion um, in that context. We're gonna receive it in the context of Good Friday. And here the context we're gonna receive it is this idea of remembrance again of where we got our start in Christ. So just start setting the buckets. And I believe that every time that the believers got together in that local church setting, you know, when, when Paul writes Philippians 1, um, they didn't just read it all in their homes. That wouldn't have been the case. That would have been read in a Sunday after a Sunday after a Sunday, probably. It would have been read in their small groups. You didn't think we were the first one to introduce small groups, did you? Everyone's focused on the bucket. Where's my bucket? I need a bucket. I need a bucket. Is the bucket, is the bucket coming? Uh, is where... It'll get, you, it'll get to you. I won't do communion without you getting out of the bucket. But I got to believe in my heart, thank you, that it was also a recommissioning to vision. 
that they, that they were together. And I, I, this is just thinking about this Philippian church. They're looking around. They all look different. They knew one another. They had seen one another around town probably. And now they find themselves in this very weird church stuff. But they all know they've all been changed by the very same thing, although their stories are very different. Their histories are very different. Their stories are very different. But from the moment they received Christ, they had a common bond that would not break. And they received a call and a commission that would never change. I heard someone write this. They said that purposes are written in Sharpie. Plans are written in pencil. Isn't that good? That our purposes have been written in Sharpie. That, that, it's there. But God has used all different ways and means to get us to where we are. But guys, I know we live in an individualistic society. We really do. I mean, man, it's so hard to break out of a society being so individualistic. But I'm asking you as your pastor and your shepherd that we be a body, a community of faith. And that all as... as Tom, had you introduce yourself to the person, right? You know, you've been coming to church. It's only the second time we've ever done a combined service. We went, we went to, we were one service always in the school, but once we built a building, we immediately had to go to two services. And then we were in three services before we did our first tenure in this room. And then from that tenure on, we've been in multiple services and never together in one place. It's difficult sometimes for me to communicate this to all of us like twice on a Sunday. You never get the same sermon. The nine o'clock crowd never gets the same service as 11. 11 never gets the same as nine because I always mess things up. But now my, my ability to look at all of you and those who still haven't been able to come back to, to church yet in person, you're still part of us. Can we operate as a body with one purpose, one mission? And each of us have a role and a part to play. You being a part of Gateway isn't just an individual move. It's that this is what you have aligned yourself with. And so when we receive, when we receive communion today, we receive it, you can go ahead and try to get it open. Some of you already have, that's why you're laughing. Pastor Harry wanted to do a tinction. Been easier. All right. Normally, normally I read out the book of Matthew where Jesus gives it to his disciples, his friends, the night that he would be betrayed. They were used to the liturgy, but they knew something was different that day. Jesus offered it to them first and he said this is my body take eat and then he passed the cup cup of redemption he said that his blood was being shed for the remission of their sins Let's take the cup.
Father, we receive what you've given to us today. You've given us all life. And you gave us life from your body hung on that tree. And then you came back to life and gave us all life more and better than we ever dreamed of. Father, take this body. Take us. Renew us. Renew our marriages. Renew our families. Renew our calling. Renew our purpose. In the name of Jesus. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.